Welcome to this episode of the National Police Association podcast number 35, Officers Who Stopped a Mass Shooter Cleared, Utah Federal Prosecutor Slams Weak State Sentencing, and Officers Stop Man Charging at Them with Knife, from Santa Clara County, California. The Times reports three police officers acted lawfully when they shot a gunman who opened fire at the Gilroy Garlic Festival in a violent rampage last year that killed three people, including two children, and wounded 17 others, according to a Santa Clara County District Attorney report released Tuesday. Thousands were in attendance at the popular food festival in the garlic capital of the world on July 28 when a gunman identified as 19-year-old Centino William Legan cut through a fence to bypass event security and unleashed a barrage of gunfire at attendees. Legan was confronted by officers less than a minute after the shooting started. He was hit several times by rounds from the officers' handguns before he delivered the fatal bullet from his own rifle, under California law. Officers are allowed to use deadly force when they or others are faced with imminent danger. The officers quite reasonably believed that they needed to use deadly force to protect innocent lives, and their own, from Legan's violent rampage, Deputy District Attorney Rob Baker wrote in the report, placing themselves, literally, in the line of fire to stop a mass murderer undoubtedly saved lives and prevented further bloodshed. Gilroy Detective Eric Cryer Officer Robert Baswino and Officer Hugo Del Moral were patrolling the festival about 6.30 p.m., when they heard shots being fired from the gunman's AK-47-style assault rifle and rushed to investigate. Cryer was about to take a knee to fire when the gunman turned toward him and fired around. The detective took cover behind a nearby barrel and fired at least 12 shots at the suspect. He fired three or four additional shots after the gunman appeared to be down because he didn't know if the man was reloading or the gun had malfunctioned. Baswino and Del Moral also opened fire on the suspect. Cryer and Del Moral, who were wearing body-worn cameras that day, did not activate them before the shooting began because of the urgency of the situation. They told investigators, if we didn't take the action that we took there could be a lot of dead people. Cryer told investigators, the assailant had entered the festival about a half hour before it was set to close for the day and fired his rifle once into the ground. Witnesses told police that it appeared the gun malfunctioned and the gunman struggled with the weapon for 15 to 20 seconds before removing the magazine and inserting a new one. After reloading, he fatally shot 13-year-old Kayla Salazar, who was with her parents under a white tent near an inflatable slide. The gunman then began firing rounds into the crowd in a counterclockwise fashion, the report states, Stephen Romero, 6, and Trevor Irby, 25, were fatally wounded, the FBI and Gilroy police are still investigating the shooting as a possible act of domestic terrorism, authorities launched the probe after officials discovered the gunman had a list of other potential targets including religious organizations, courthouses federal buildings and political institutions involving both the Republican and Democratic parties. In light of the grave circumstances of this case, law enforcement's actions were unquestionably lawful and justified, Baker wrote. From Salt Lake City, Utah, the Standard Examiner reports Utah's top federal prosecutor offered a bit of criticism for the state's lawmakers, as he said a federal program in Ogden is targeting criminals that have slipped through the cracks of the state system. You, 
S. Attorney for the District of Utah John Huber told the Standard Examiner on Monday that Project Safe Neighborhoods, a collaborative effort between local and federal law enforcement to increase federal prosecutions, will continue to be in place for the foreseeable future. Huber announced the initiative in 2018 as part of a larger, national effort to curb violent crime, and Ogden saw a drop in Part 1 crimes between 2018 and 2019. Part 1 crimes consist of homicide, rape, robbery, aggravated assault, burglary, larceny, auto theft and arson. That's a direct result of the federal initiative, according to Huber, who criticized lawmakers for not allowing for more harsh sentencing guidelines for repeat offenders. The federal court system, he argued, allows for stiffer punishments for those with a criminal record who are caught with illegal firearms and large amounts of drugs. The cases we bring under Project Safe Neighborhoods are the cases that should have been handled better in state courts, Huber said. He made clear that his concerns did not rest on that of local police, prosecutors or judges, but rather state lawmakers who are responsible for implementing the statutes that guide sentencing in state courts. For his Project Safe Neighborhoods program, Huber said he wants to target those career criminals who legally cannot possess firearms and have a history of drug crimes. He said that most but not quite all of those charged federally under Project Safe Neighborhoods meet that criteria. These are examples of people the state has failed to protect citizens from, Huber said. One case in particular that he referenced was that of an Ogden man Rory Cordova, whom law enforcement officials believe is responsible for a 2018 shooting at a child's birthday in Ogden and the shooting of a South Salt Lake City home while two people were inside. A complaint filed in federal court alleges Cordova is a documented gang member. The complaint also indicates Cordova is a seven-time convicted felon in Utah state courts. Cordova was facing two counts of possessing a firearm following a felony conviction. As of Friday, Cordova's case was still pending, and if convicted he could spend a maximum of 10 years in a federal prison. Cases like that of Cordova are examples Huber points to as cases that his initiative aims to get off the streets. He also noted that when someone is federally prosecuted, they are sent to prison facilities out of Utah, as the state does not have any federal prison facilities. A search of those indicted under Project Safe Neighborhoods reveal a pattern that often occurs for these cases. Many defendants accused of drug or gun crimes are first charged in state courts, but state charges are later dismissed without prejudice once federal charges are brought forward. If a case is dismissed without prejudice, the charges are closed but can be reopened if a prosecuting agency sees fit. By taking this process, federal prosecutors effectively have a safety net in the event that their prosecutions are not successful. They can send the case back to state courts if needed, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Two Project Safe Neighborhoods cases have eventually been dismissed. One case was that of former Ogden resident Emmanuel Carenza, who was federally charged with robbing two stores in 2018. The federal charges were later dismissed after on February 21, 2019 by prosecutors, according to court documents. Prosecutors said in a motion that an essential to the prosecution passed away, and the case must be dropped. The dismissal motion did not state what were the circumstances of the witness death. Fortunately for federal prosecutors, Carranza still had active cases in state courts. In particular, one case that accused him of abducting a man at gunpoint and keeping him overnight, forcing the man to perform chores at his home. The man reportedly witnessed Carranza fire several gunshots at a home, 
the man was able to escape after Carenza drove him to a Walmart to buy ammunition, the man alerted employees of the store who notified law enforcement and later apprehended Carenza. Carenza, 31, was found guilty in February on single counts of aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, felony discharge of a firearm and possession of a dangerous weapon by a restricted person, all first-degree felonies, as well as failing to stop at the command of police, a third-degree felony. Carenza was found not guilty of aggravated assault, a first-degree felony, as of Jan, 23, 88 federal cases were filed under Project Safe Neighborhoods, with federal officials netting 47 convictions, the average sentence for those prosecuted is 34, 5 months, or nearly 3 years in a federal prison, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. From Ogden, Utah. The Standard Examiner reports the Weber County Attorney's Office has ruled that the actions of four Ogden police officers who shot and killed an Ogden man last August were justified. In a letter dated January 30, Weber County Attorney Chris Allred cleared the four officers of wrongdoing after they fired their weapons at 26-year-old Giovanni Mercado, an Ogden resident who died at the scene. The letter, addressed to Ogden Police Chief Randy Watt, was obtained by the Standard Examiner via records request. Mercado was shot by officers after dispatchers received a call saying a man with a knife was looking into cars in the area. When officers arrived, Mercado walked toward them with a folding knife in hand. Allred wrote that the officers shouted to Mercado to drop the knife a total of 23 times before they began firing their service weapons. The four Ogden policemen who fired were identified as officers Brandon Sevensky, Nigel Bailey, Carson Garcia, and John Paulson, according to an investigation report from the Weber County Attorney's Office into the shooting, analysis of the scene revealed that the four officers fired 20 bullets in total, according to the report, an autopsy of Mercado revealed he was shot 16 times, crime scene investigators found that some of the bullets damaged a car and the home behind Mercado, police released body camera footage of the shooting in September which showed Mercado walking toward officers as they shouted commands before firing. A 77-page report, made public Wednesday, details the events leading to the shooting and the events that followed. The report indicates that on August 16, a birthday party was taking place on 32nd Street when partygoers were told that a man was walking around near vehicles parked in the area and it appeared that the male was looking inside the vehicles. One witness told police he tried to speak to the man later found to be Mercado, but the man did not respond, the witness, who did not know Mercado, described him as being in his own world, and giving people a dirty look when people tried to talk to him, two witnesses reportedly told police that Mercado allegedly walked toward them with a knife in his hand, Mercado allegedly stopped and turned around after the two retreated into a garage, another witness walked to the front of the home hosting the birthday party and saw Mercado standing on a sidewalk. He reportedly asked Mercado if he was okay, to which Mercado replied, Yeah, are you okay? The witness reportedly tried to ask Mercado if he was lost, but he did not respond to any other questions. The witness told police he felt uncomfortable so he decided to call police. The witness informed police that the man was not threatening anyone but had a knife and was causing concern. Each of the four officers recounted the events during interviews several days after the shooting. All four officers had an attorney present during their interviews, 
Officer Brandon Sevensky told investigators he was assigned to take a civilian on a ride along that night, and he was directed to respond to any calls that seemed interesting for the civilian to observe. The name of the civilian was not included in the investigation report. Sevensky was dispatched to the home after hearing there was a man looking into vehicles and was possibly in possession of a knife. When he arrived, he was joined by officers Nigel Bailey and John Powelson. The three spoke to the witness who placed the call to dispatchers, who said the man had walked east and into a carport. Bailey and Powelson were together in the same car when the call came in. According to the report, Bailey was training Powelson, who was still a probationary officer at the time. The two were on a dinner break when the call came in, and though the call was not in their designated area, they took the call for training experience. According to the report, as the three approached, they saw Mercado in the carport with his back to the officers before he turned around to face the officers. Officer Sevensky described that the male looked agitated and took an aggressive posture with his shoulders and his fists balled up. The report says, after Mercado fell to the ground, Bailey recalled he put on gloves and placed the wounded man in handcuffs. Garcia said he noticed the knife come out of Mercado's hand, and he kicked the knife farther away from Mercado. Another officer arrived shortly after and rendered first aid and CPR to Mercado, he later died at the scene. In interviews, each of the officers expressed concern for their lives as well as the lives of those at the birthday party and the home behind them. If he had gotten to me or anybody else, he was going to hurt somebody, whether it was us or somebody else, Garcia said. Bailey believed that if given the chance, Mercado would have caused him and the other officers harm. From the moment he turned around, I saw nothing but active aggression. There was never a moment of hesitation where he stopped or even appeared to be considering his options, Bailey said. Pallison said he absolutely believed that someone would be injured or killed if the officers had not taken action. In the report, investigators believe Sevensky, Garcia and Bailey were less than 21 feet away from Mercado when they fired. Their distances ranged from 14 to 18 feet away. This news brought to you by the National Police Association. To learn more about how you can help law enforcement accomplish its goals visit nationalpolice.org.